Welcome, everybody. So this is the first episode of the Jack Weston MCAT podcast. I'm your host, Phil Hawkins, the MCAT director at uh, Jack Weston. With me, I have my uh, co-host, Azai. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Really excited to get this started. My name is Azai Calderon-Minez, first-year medical student, talking to Phil, almost second year. So we are going to go ahead and get this started. We're really excited to work on this podcast. Yeah, you were just talking a moment ago how you have four weeks left before you. Yes. Yeah, only four weeks. It was a really surreal realization um, that almost an M2, you know, we'll still be doing a little bit of preclinical for the next couple of months before we do full time clinical, but nonetheless, almost done. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I, uh, as I mentioned, MCAT director at Jack Weston. I also um, went to med school myself. I was an MD PhD student at the University of Nebraska Med Center, doing my PhD in pharmacology and experimental neuroscience. People always say like, "Oh, so I mean, you know a whole lot about drugs?" I'm like, "Well, the pharmacology stuff was not the things I focused on. I focused more on the the neuroscience side of things, the learning and memory, and um, that's actually." amazingly relevant to what we're going to talk about today, um, which is talking about the way that we learn. And I think that this is really important because as students in undergrad, the way that we learn um, to prepare for our exams is different than how we have to start prepping once you get into med school. Speaking as somebody who's been in med school, and I'm sure as I'll back me up on this, it's it's a very, it, there's a transition there and things change. And all of a sudden you're studying for stuff that you need to remember, like not next week for your exam, but you need to remember this three months from now for yeah. your like MCAT if you're pre-med um, or like a year from now. Um, as I am like, you have your step one coming up, not this year, but at the end of next year. And so like the stuff that you're studying today, all of a sudden you have to, you have to apply, you know, over yeah. a year from now. And the crazy thing is, it's not even just that, right? It's seeing patients, it's coming up with a differential, a differential diagnosis being just different possibilities, possible diagnoses. Um, So all of this information that you're starting to learn at the beginning of medical school, you're constantly using it, trying to pull it back to the forefront of your mind. It can almost feel a little bit like studying for the MCAT in that you start learning the material earlier on and two months in, you're like, wait a second, I know I learned this. I have to, you know, refresh my memory. Um, and so it's, it's very similar in the sense that you want to be able to pull this information back to the forefront on demand when you need it in the distant future, not just, you know, next week. Right. I, I did a lot of that, like cramming, like I have, I have a test next week. I need to memorize all these structures for my biochem exam next week. And I would do it. And then I'd take the exam. And then like three weeks later, like, I don't really remember it. And that's, that's an artifact of the way that we are, are learning and the way that we're taught. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that, I actually think that that's one of the awesome things about the MCAT is that there is, it, it's testing you in a little bit of a different way. Um, there's not a lot of times that, you know, you have to be studying today for an exam three months from now. That doesn't really happen in undergrad, but all of a sudden this starts to happen yeah. for the MCAT. And I think of it as kind of like boot camp prepping you for what's going to be happening in med school. And so students have to relearn how to learn, if that makes sense. And so um, I wanted to take a little bit of time and nerd out on just kind of the process of memory. We're going to end up talking about stress. And then eventually we're going to start talking about just like actual content that the exam is going to test you on. But I always thought, you know, the best way to start is to talk about like meta stuff, like how do we learn and how do we remember things? And so 
I want to start with a story. I want to start with an experiment as all great things begin Uh with an experiment (laughs) and a story. So let's say that you get up in the morning and you're walking to class and you overhear two students talking and the students are talking and like what, what you overhear is this. Uh, did you hear about Billy? He stole a bunch of money from, from Tom and, and he used all that money to buy drugs uh, from a drug dealer. And, and then you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't be listening to this. And then you go into the classroom and you sit down and uh, in the classroom, the teacher starts to lecture and they say, okay, the flow of a fluid is equal to the change in pressure times from one end of a pipe to the other times the uh, times pi times radius of the pipe to the fourth power all over eight times the viscosity of the fluid times the length of the pipe. Now, if I ask a student, like, and I've, I've done this experiment lots of times, right? And like, I'm asking the audience here, what is the equation, right? Like, what is, what was the equation that we did? And it's kind of painful because we don't know that. And uh, do, do you know which equation that is as I? Oh yeah, but I'm definitely mispronouncing this, but Pasols, I've heard Pasols, yeah. Pasolis. Yeah, I give Pusais. up on pronunciation. It's, it's very <laughs> French. It's just a pile of letters. I always learned in French, you just pronounce the first half of the word and then you quit. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's like Poisset's Law, which is an equation that you need to know for the MCAT, but students don't remember it, right? Like I, normally I finish that story and I'm like, okay, what was the equation? Like I said it like 10 seconds ago, what's the equation? Nobody remembers it. But if I ask you, where is Tommy's money? Who has it? Azai, what's, what's the answer for that? Poor Billy. He's gonna... Yeah, Billy took it and now he doesn't have the money anymore. So now who does have the money? Yeah, I actually paid attention to the, the equation. I had a feeling you were going to ask that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm probably not the best person for this. Right. Um, so it's going to be like the drug dealer, right? And, and the idea behind this is that we remember stories better than we remember piles of numbers and like letters and, and things like that. But we don't get tested on stories. We get tested on equations. We get tested on definitions, but that's not how our brain is designed to learn things. I always like to imagine our brain is like the world's best screwdriver. It's really good at one thing or certain things. Um, now you can use it in other ways, right? Like you could take the world's best screwdriver and use it like a a hammer and drive a nail and that works. That's not efficient. It's, it's going to end up being messy. If you're like me, I'm probably going to hit my hand like a little bit as I'm (laughs) trying to drive this, this nail in with the world's best screwdriver, but, but it works. And I think in undergrad students are doing the equivalent. They're using their brain in a way that's not really what it's designed and optimized for, kind of a brute force method as they like go through flashcards and memorize definitions and memorize like piles of letters and numbers. But your brain doesn't like to hold on to that. And so it ends up just letting go. And over time, like you don't remember that long term versus the story, like you remember stories. Like if I asked us, like if I asked you, Azai, could you tell me like some stories from high school. Like I'm sure you could probably come up with like a couple of stories of things that happened during high school. Maybe you don't want to share them. Uh, (laughs) In my mind, I'm like, maybe I wouldn't want to share anything like that. But like, do you have many definitions from high school? Like definitions that you, I'm sure you tried to memorize stuff. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I did, (laughs) but I think, and I think this just goes to, to your point. Um, the facts that I memorized in high school very quickly lost. 
That said, I can tell you the stories that teachers shared with us, right? Um, I can tell you about the events that happened. Same thing with what I've been doing in medical school. I can tell you about the patients I've seen and how the information that we learned in class tied in with those patients. But the facts themselves, if you ask me, that's, I think we've already noticed this. It will go in one ear and out the other. The, the, yeah. the facts themselves aren't enough to keep us engaged. They're not enough to um, pull from. You can sit down and memorize an entire list when we were going through today and we were talking about the different symptoms um, for a disease, I had sat down the day before, reviewed the entire list, meant very little. When we talked about it today in the form of a case, that made a lot more sense. Right. That's that's really interesting. You talk about like, you know, you remember the patients and the people. I had a friend in med school that the way that he would memorize certain things is he would he would make up fake patients and he would say like, <laughs> oh, I had this patient that had this disease. I treated them with this drug. I forgot to watch their potassium. And so they died. And like, this is a, this is a purely theoretical thing. And everyone's mm -hmm. like, Whoa, that got dark really quick. But this ties an emotional component to the memory. Like there's yeah. like this, this guilt of like, I killed somebody. He didn't actually kill anybody. He, this was a made up situation, but now he is absolutely always going to remember to like check people's potassiums when he gives, when he gives this drug. <laughs> Um, and, and he would do this for everything because like, he just knew that like, you know, the stories would stick longer. And this, it, in my opinion, this isn't like experimentally like proven or anything, but I think that this has to do with evolutionary pressures. Like if you're a caveman, you don't need to memorize an equation, right? Like what's, or it's like definitions. There are some things you do need to memorize, like how to get back to the river or how to get back to that place where there was a bunch of strawberries or whatever. Um, so navigation, super important. Facial recognition, you need to be able to recognize the different people in your tribe. And, and you need to remember like social situations, right? Like if I really like Sally, the cave woman, um, but her brother Oog is, is not my biggest fan, I, I need to remember that, right? And, and like understand and like recognize people and facial expressions and things like that, because that helps me survive in this area. So like evolutionarily, we're, we're kind of, our memories are designed for dealing with navigation, for dealing with facial recognition, for dealing with social interactions, which is kind of annoying because that means that we are hardwired to remember gossip, right? Like, I, I hate this, right? Why do I know the Kardashians, right? I don't, I don't, <laughs> I'm tried to memorize the Kardashians and what's going on with the different ones. And like, there's, there's equations out there that I have tried to remember, but I don't. I don't remember this equation. I don't remember this definition. I don't remember the side effect of this drug. But there's all sorts of things that that everyone remembers with zero effort, right? Like it doesn't, like if I asked you like your organic chemistry professor, like did they have a mustache? Maybe. That, like maybe it was a girl. Maybe she had a mustache, right? But you, you know this and you never flashcarded it, right? Like you, you never like sat down like writing like Mrs. Thompson has a mustache, right? Like that's not something that you, you like tried to memorize. Um, if I wanted to go from my house to the nearest gas station, I know exactly which way I need to turn as I walk out the front door. Never, never flashcarded that. Never sat down trying to memorize that. And, and so in undergrad, people are trying to memorize stuff through this like brute force like effort of just like hammering their head into a pile of flashcards or into a pile of equations. And, and they're not like, that's not like, it works in the short term, right? Like using the screwdriver, like a hammer, it works 
okay if your test is Friday. But if your test is six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, doesn't really work. Um, and all of a sudden, when you get to the level of the MCAT and you get to medical school, all of a sudden, those techniques that you utilized before stop working. And that's scary because you've had this one toolbox that you've used to be successful all of your life up until this point. And then all of a sudden, it stops working. And like that causes people to panic and flounder. And um, I reached this personally when I was in med school and I struggled so bad that first semester because I was trying to brute force everything. Mm -hmm. I've been lucky that up until that point in my life, I'd just been able to just brute force, just like sit down the week of an exam and just like slam my head into a pile of notes until it's stuck. And, and that would work short term and that would work for the exam. But then you get a little bit bigger and things start to grow and build on each other and you're being taught something, you know, today for something you're going to get tested on, on your like step three or step four, like years from now, you're going to be tested on this. And that is, that's scary. And so you kind of have to relearn how to learn and yeah. like learn like new skills. Um, Absolutely. I mean, when I was in undergrad, I, maybe some folks that are listening, watching to us will resonate with this. I highlighted I highlighted the living daylights out of my textbooks, my notes, the PowerPoints, everything. Um, because for me, I thought, okay, if I'm highlighting as I go along, right, and that's the only thing that I'm doing, then my eye will be drawn to it. I'll somehow remember it. And that's enough. Um, when I started studying for the MCAT, realized very quickly, highlighting in your notebook and doing nothing else is not enough. It's not. And you have to find a way to engage with the material in a way that's more dynamic than just highlight. And then if I want to review, I look at what I highlighted. Because if you're anything like me, you probably have also over-highlighted. And so that's a mess, totally different mess, right? Um, when I started studying for the MCAT, I had some of what you were talking about, trying to build off of the information or build information off of previous information and kind of how to go about doing that. That's when I discovered the beauty of study guides. Uh, we have definitely spoken about this before. I am a huge proponent of making your own study guides. I think there's nothing else like it because you're taking the information, right? You're consolidating it in a way that you find useful. Then you can also come up with your own stories. If you'd so like, like your friend in medical school, um, you can work through practice problems and have a practice problem on there, you know, on your equation sheet, for example, to make sure that you know how to apply it and not just that it exists. Uh, and then, you know, I, I started doing that, got better at it, wasn't amazing at it. And then medical school started and I started falling into some of my old habits again. And all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, this isn't quite working out the way I want it to work out. Switch gears, ended up going back to making study guides. Now, if you look at my notes, I have a study guide for each exam. And so I have a page right now we're doing uh, renal GI, so kidney GI and um Ooh, they would get upset that I don't remember the third one. <laughs> oh, endocrine. There we go. And that's my favorite one. So I have a section for endocrine, everything that we covered after the last exam. I have a section for kidney, everything we covered after the last exam. And I have a section for GI, everything we covered afterwards. And then knowing that exams are cumulative, um, I will go and I will review what was what we learned for quiz one. Go ahead, review what we added to quiz one for quiz two, et cetera. And that way I'm constantly reviewing previous material, incorporating new material and doing so in a way that's more active than just scrolling and reading my highlights. Yeah. 
No, like your your story like perfectly mimics mine. When I first started med school, I would I would sit down and this this applies to the MCAT, which is the reason we're bringing this up. But I would mm-hmm. I would sit and I would read and then I would reread like the books like yep. three or four times and then notes and I would listen to the lecture. I'd go to lecture and then I'd re-listen to the lecture because they were recorded. And I was I was doing this for like 10, 12 hours a day outside of class. Right. Like, so like you add in, I had class and then like 10 hours, 12 hours of, of this other stuff means that like I was doing this while I was eating. Cause I didn't have time to eat. Yeah. Right. And, and like, I needed to sleep. And so that's it. Right. That's all of my time is just mm-hmm. doing this. And, and I struggled until I met with my PI. Um, that's the person I was working with for my PhD research on the neuroscience stuff. Um, doing research on kind of like Alzheimer's and learning and memory and that sort of that sort of topic. And I was talking to him and I'm like, hey, like I'm having like a lot of trouble like dealing with this information, holding on to it. And and I'm like, I can't spend any more time because that's that's how I used to handle it. And in undergrad, it just like spend more time, keep reading over it, like that brute force method. Um, and so he asked me what I what I was doing. And I like I told him, right, like watching lectures, rewatching lectures, reading the book, rereading the book. Um because that got, let me get through the material like as quickly as possible. If I wanted to sit down and get through so much material, like I could get through like the entire like chapter in the book and go cover all this material versus like, I felt like if I was creating a study guide or something like that, like that's going to take me longer. Right. And so I'm going to get through less material. And so I'm going to learn even slower, but like that was all kind of like in my subconscious. And so I just felt like I need to get through all of this and be as efficient as possible. So I'm going through everything over and over again. And I told um, my PI this and he just laughed. He's like, like, what are we researching here? Like, like just stop and think about the research that we do. And, and like, you should know better, right? <laughs> like based on like what we're doing. And he said this and I'm, I immediately go like, God, I'm an idiot, right? Like, like <laughs> this is, this is what I do. And so I started doing what you were talking about. I was like organizing the information and I would start to create my own study guides. I'd create my own stories and mnemonics and like analogies and things like that. And um, all of a sudden I was spending less time studying and I was doing better. And like, it was, it it was weird because instead of studying like 10 to 12, I was studying like six to eight hours outside of class. And I was, I was doing better at it, but that's because I was better able to remember. And it's like, and like just as evidence for this. So um, I've been out of school, med school for a while, um, <laughs> coming up on like 10 years. But there's a, um, a person I went to med school with um, and her husband actually introduced them. Her husband does robotics and he was doing like a robotic surgery thing. Um, and, and so like they did a lot of like really interesting things. But his wife, when we were studying, I came up with a mnemonic for the bones of the eye socket. And it's Fickle zebra, merry perch, sadness everlasting. And so that's like frontal, zygomatic, uh, maxillary, pterygoid with a P, like pterodactyl. Fickle zebra, merry perch, sadness, sphenoid, everlasting, ethmoid. And so those are the 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 bones of the eye sock. And it's just like this stupid mnemonic, right? Like that doesn't mean anything. But in my mind, there's this wedding and like we're all sitting in the audience and there's a fish and a zebra getting married. And everyone in the audience is like, this is sad. This isn't going to work out. One of them's a fish and lives in the water like this. So it's fickle zebra, merry perch, sadness, everlasting. And and this was this was a decade ago. And and I made up this mnemonic with my friend. And now they work in like educational robotics. And they were doing this, 
presentation. And so they asked if I could come because they had to do like a presentation, but they needed someone to manage the booth. And they're like, you can play with mm. drones and things like that. I'm like, yes, I'll come and stand at a booth and play with drones all day long. And we had to set up a, a network, um, a Wi-Fi network for the, the stuff to connect. You did not. And my friend set it up and I'm like, hey, what's the, what's the Wi-Fi thing? So I can like log into it. And she's like, you'll know. And then I like oh, pulled no. it up and it was Pickle Zebra Mary Perch. And then she's like, I'm like, hang on, I got the password. And it's like sadness everlasting. And I like immediately knew it. And this was after 10 years. And, and like, if you had asked me like some of the other stuff that I tried to sit and memorize, couldn't tell you anything, right? But that's going to stick with me. I'm going to be 95 years old and I'm going to remember that. And, and that's just like this weird thing, but like making mnemonics, organizing the information, even if it's stupid, even if it doesn't make sense, it's, it, that's a better way to, to remember things long-term. There's also different types of memory. And I think that this is something that a lot of students under appreciate myself included um, when I started out that like, I thought if you're trying to learn something, you just like, you need, just need to memorize facts, but there that's like semantic memory, which is not the only type of memory out there. There's like memories associated with smells and movements, like procedural memories, like singing memories. And it turns out like a lot of the procedural stuff is like subconscious and it's really easy to hold on to this, which is why like you remember songs like, and like sometimes, sometimes you're not trying, sometimes you don't want to be singing the song in your head, but it's still stuck in your head. And like, it's, it's this weird thing where there's some stuff that we're trying to hold on to. And it just like slips through our fingers. And like, I can't remember this equation and other stuff. I'm like, I don't want to remember like the lyrics to the Macarena, but I do, right? Like, why do I know that? And I'm like, it, it's annoying because my brain won't focus on the stuff that I wanted to, because it's not designed for that. And and so I also started to tap into other types of memory, like movement and sound and things like that. And those of you guys who are watching this on video, like this will be, make a lot more sense to you. But there's like different, like in anatomy and physiology, I learned a lot of this stuff due to just like movements. And so there's like this bone in, the, in your neck called the hyoid. Um, it's like this U-shaped bone. And so I have this like hyoid as you like go and like try to like choke somebody and you like grab them by the neck and like that's where the bone is and it's U-shaped like your hand is when you choke somebody. And I have this like this karate noise like hyoid. Um, and I'm going to remember that when I'm 100, right? I'm, I'm going to like forget my childhood home and my family, but I'm still going to remember the hyoid and like the olicranon and the sartorius and the like deltoid, 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 because it's got three movements. And so there's like a movement for each of the three heads of the deltoid. And it's almost like dancing. And, and that stuff just sticks because it's a different type of memory. So I know a lot of times students are studying and you feel like I cannot hold any more information. And that's, that's something that happened to me a lot when I was, you know, prepping for the MCAT and in an undergrad and in med school. And I'm like, I just can't handle anymore. And then once I got to that point, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to switch to a different type of memory, right? I'm going to make up a song about all of the like cranial nerves and songs stick in people's heads because our brains are designed for that, like rhythm and patterns of speech and that sort of thing. And so we're just better at it. And, and I think that this is something that a lot of people underappreciate and, and they don't, they don't really think about because they're just brute forcing their, their info all the way through like undergrad. And all of a sudden there's different, different strategies that become available. And these saved me when I was in med school, because all of a sudden the stuff that I was trying to do before 
didn't work. And I was really successful in undergrad and then the MCAT and then, um, and then like I got to med school and all of a sudden that's where my barrier was. I'm like, I just can't learn anymore. Um, I can't handle this volume in the way that I have been trying to handle before. And so I think just starting to learn and understand that coming up with stories, um, like Anasta Moses in my mind is Anastasia and Moses put together and she's got like a big beard and turns water into vodka because it's Anastasia. Um, but like this, there's like, you know, little stories and mnemonics and things like that, that just stick with you. And I'm going to remember that, that stuff forever, way longer than I remember, like, what are the different classes of potassium sparing diuretics, right? Like that's like facts don't stick with you, but like the, the zebra and the fish getting married and it being sad. Like, I remember that. Um, and once again, it's obnoxious because that's not what I want to remember. I want to remember the facts, but it's, it's those other things. Yeah. And I, I just have to say it when you were first sharing that story, I thought you were going to set up the Wi-Fi password, but the no. fact that they set it up and it was the same, basically the same thing is just so heartwarming. Right. Um, <laughs> because like I made up this mnemonic for one test yeah. before, and not only did I remember, but she remembered it. And like mm -hmm. both of us remembered it like after a decade. And that's, that's crazy. Like think about some, like some lecture you had in like a decade ago. Like what are the odds that you remember some fact from that? Right? Not this gal. <laughs> yeah. And that's just, that's just like such an interesting thing. Yeah. And to add on to this, I think that, you know, you mentioned the I will forever see you doing this with the hyoid bone now. Right. Um, but I think it's also, so something that helps me since I am not, I am not quite as creative as you are. Um, for me, it's like just physically moving while I'm studying. I find that if I sit down in this chair and I am in the same position as when I was taking class, because as many of you probably have realized part of this year was on zoom. Um, so it's, you're just stuck in the same place, in the same position, you're not getting around, you're not moving around. You wanna make sure that you're <laughs> you're getting that blood flow back to your head. Um, and so something that I have found really helpful is I will just put on music, right? And this is, and this will not work for everyone, but just put on music and like have it very low in the background so that I'm not focusing more on the music than I am on my, on what I'm studying, right? And just move around. Or sometimes I'll have the sound off, but I'll just be walking around and I'll just, go out, if I can, you know, pop on some headphones and listen to something related to what I'm doing. So for example, this podcast and just go for a walk, it's getting nice out. And so I don't want to sit down in, you know, the same spot studying because I'm not going to remember it. And Hey, maybe I will randomly think of a word that reminds me of what I was studying about. And that has actually happened in the past, but it's been helpful, right? Because if I'm going to remember something, it might as well be something that I want to remember and not some random song, like you said, at a very inopportune moment. Um, so I think that it's, it's making sure that your whatever helps you stay engaged is probably going to be the best way that you memorize that you learn the material. And so for some people that's, you know, coming up with really awesome mnemonics, um, for others, it will be getting those mnemonics shared with them. <laughs> and then, you know, just finding, finding a good fit, finding something that keeps you engaged in the material, keeps you, you know, has other sensory components that you can latch onto and that will trigger that memory on their own. Um, same yeah. thing goes for, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, there's, there, there's also some really strong ties between movement and location and memory. And I think that that's also something that 
in the world of memory and and like neuroscience, there's still a lot of questions up in the air. And so this isn't like that's why I love neuros because like I didn't want to be a, like study the heart because everyone understands the heart. Like I want to I want to study something with some mysteries. Like how does the brain work? Nobody knows. We're trying to figure it out. And so that's what I want to do research on. But um, there's a lot of ties to like like state based or or context based memory. And so like wh what's going on with you physically changes like your ability to remember stuff. There's there's a lot of ties between the hippocampus, um, which handles a lot of like memory. Obviously, it's the main area for memory, or at least for like semantic and ex like episodic or experiential memory, and and location. And that's why you can like go into a certain place and all of a sudden you remember something that occurred here. Like, and you, like you weren't thinking about it, but that memory just popped up or the converse that you have a memory like, Oh, I need to remember to do something. You walk into the other room. I forgot. And it's because of the relationship between location and in your brain, you have segmented this room and that room. And those are different places and those are tied to memories. And so all of a sudden when you cross a threshold, you lose that memory that train of thought that you were thinking about because your brain can't remember it because it's not tied to this place anymore which is like super weird that's that's also one of the reasons that like retracing your steps is useful because it's not just about like you know what was i near where did i set it down but also going to those places might jog your memory of like oh i said it here um and so there's a lot of ties between like location and space and memory and that goes back to you know, so much of what we need to remember as humans is navigation. And so our brains like tie location and navigation with, with memory so well. Um, now also with the walking stuff, like exercise, exercise is super important and useful. And we'll probably talk about that more, not in this podcast, but like in, in a, in a future one, because that's mm -hmm. like really relevant. But yeah. I think it comes down to like, I always, I always, <laughs> I always think about my brain as like a third person that I have to drag along, right? Like from a third person point of view, I'm like, come on brain, please learn this thing. Like, I just, I just want to, I need to remember this, please do. And I have to like trick it into learning it. And so coming up with, um, you know, stories or like, uh, like emotional, like ideas that tie to that, um, is big, but also like, especially for, for physics and like equations and those sorts of things. I think a lot of students do like flashcards for those, but the best way to do that or, or to remember equations is not, especially long-term, it's not like flashcards or like equation sheet, like that sort of thing, but it's using the equations like for long-term. One of my favorite experiments is they took um, two groups of students. Um, they gave them both a sheet of equations. And so group A, they're like, okay, you have 10 minutes, memorize these equations. Group B, they're like, oh, you have 10 minutes, memorize these equations. Also, you have to do these practice questions. So group B, in theory, has less time to memorize because they have to do math. And so they have to like figure out like what's 17 divided by two. And like they're, they're, they're like spending time like doing math. And, but like both groups had the same amount of time total. And so they had less time to study and memorize the equations. It turns out at the end of that like 10 minutes, they took the equation sheets from both of them and asked both groups to write their equations or write the equations. And it turns out, both of them were really good. Like there was no difference, no statistical difference. And I know everyone was expecting me to say like the, <laughs> the people who did questions were better. Um, but it turns out that like brute force stuff works pretty well in the short term. But then they invited those students back two weeks later and said, what were the equations? And the ones that did practice questions were better at it. And it's because 
when they solved that question, they got this like dopamine release inside their brain and their brain was like, hey, that's useful. Whatever we were just using is a useful thing because we got this reward and that's awesome. Let's hold on to that. The other, the brains in the other groups, like they're like memorize this equation like, okay, I'll hold on to it. And then it's like, this is stupid. Why am I holding on to this? This isn't useful. And it just like lets it go. And, and so that's why I think when, when students are studying like physics and chemistry, just like reading and like reading through other people's practice questions and like looking at like flashcards, either like physical or digital, um, like Anki or something. I think it's, it's better to just do lots of practice questions because that helps you understand or that helps you remember stuff better long-term, right? Which is kind of the goal here. You're studying today for a test three months, four months, six months from now. And so you want to make sure that you're holding on to this information over a longer period of time. Not to mention that I actually think on the MCAT, the like the challenge, the challenge in undergrad is memorize the equations, do the math. If you if you know all your equations and you can you're really good at math, you're going to ace every physics test in undergrad. Um, but on the MCAT, all of a sudden it's weird because they're giving you these scenarios that they know you've never seen before. They're like throwing these curveballs at you. Instead of like asking you just straight up, how does a capacitor work? They're asking you like, how does the membrane of a neuron act like a capacitor? And if we switch the fatty acids in that membrane for lipolaic for palmitic, how does that change the capacitance of the membrane? Nobody has studied this, right? Just knowing all your equations and and being able to do the math doesn't help you there because you need to figure out like, how does, how do these things relate? How does a capacitor work, right? Not just the equations, but how does it function? And you're like, oh, well, the plates, when they're closer together, but when the charges are closer together, it makes it a stronger capacitance. And so with a neuron, like you got charges on either side. So if we switch the fatty acids in the membrane for smaller fatty acids, that means the charges get closer together, which means the capacitance goes up. And and so that, that's that's totally an MCAT st- sort of question. Note, nowhere in there did I have to do math, right? Like that, I was never doing any, like what's two plus three divided by seven, right? Like the, the challenge on the MCAT very often is not the math stuff. The MCAT is not looking for mathematicians. They're looking for people who conceptually understand these things. And so if you're doing what you did before, just trying to memorize equations, because that's what helped you get through your exams in undergrad, that doesn't help you on the MCAT. And it's not a good way to memorize the equations anyway, long-term. And so you want to do lots of practice questions. And that's that's like a really interesting thing, kind of applying it. It's, it's all about like tricking your brain into, hey, this is the sort of thing that you want to know anyway, right? This is useful, or this is navigation, or this is facial recognition, or this is like gossip, right? Or something emotional. Um, because those are the things that brains like, and you just have to trick it into following along, which sounds very dirty and devious. I'm trying to trick my brain. <laughs> but um, I think the more you kind of understand how the brain works and how memory works, the easier it is to utilize that, right? Like hijack it, right? Like hack your brain, if that makes sense. I hate to use like buzz keywords like that. But um, but learn how to like hack into the way that your brain actually wants to do things anyway and use your screwdriver like a screwdriver instead of like a hammer. Um, because it's, it's what it's good at, right? Like use it in the way that it's best designed for, not necessarily what has worked in the past, but what it's really best at. Yeah. And I think they're just, you're, um, you talking about all of this brought two things to mind first is, and this is something that I think a lot of pre-meds fall into, unfortunately, and it's 
trying to brute force through difficult times. Um, And so, you know, there is, we talked about the importance of, or not the importance, but the the possibility of mood affecting what we remember. And you talked about your friend, how, you know, the imaginary patient that they killed and that helped them remember things. Um, I think it's also really important to address that sometimes life happens and it's not always appropriate to try and brute force study through what's happening because at some point, the emotions are going to cloud your ability to remember the information, to process the information. And now you've avoided doing two things correctly, right? Of, of processing what's going on and of processing the information that you're trying to learn. So I think it is important to keep that in mind. If you've sat down and you are pulling out your hair 20 minutes in, it's time to pause, take a break, go see if you can reset and then come back. I think that's something that's really important and that a lot of pre-meds we've fallen, I'm including myself in this, even though I'm in, in med school. Me too. Um, <laughs> It's important to recognize this. You know, we're, we're striving for that perfection. I think you've heard me say this before. I'm at a place in my life where I'm not aiming for perfection the first time. I'm progression instead of perfection because I know that eventually I will get where I need to go. Same thing yeah. applies to studying for the MCAT. You will get there, right? You continue putting in the effort. A single moment studying is not going to make or break your entire ability to do well on the MCAT, right? It's, it's entire progress. Um, the second thing that that brought to mind is you mentioned practice questions and you mentioned um, essentially having a solid foundation of the content before trying to add more on top of it, right? Because if you can play around with the concepts uh, on the test, you're off to a great start. Um, And I think that where that's where the content pages on the Jack Weston website come into play because you have these topics presented and it's not just the content, right? We're playing around with them a little bit. There's also the the questions that you can um, do that are not, Some of them aren't exactly in the same format so that you can practice the content. And so I think that's incredibly important, making sure that you have a balance. So you're learning the content on your own, right? You're doing practice questions that emphasize knowing the content. And then you're also doing practice that emphasizes application the way that the MCAT tests it. So you have to come at this from all of these different angles instead of just saying, okay, I'm going to memorize, you know, the amino acids. Like you mentioned, what happens if I change the amino acid on, you know, in this one particular location, how is that going to affect everything afterwards? Yeah. And that's, that's a big thing. And I like, I like the plug to like the, the Jack Wesson questions. Those of you who are not familiar, we have um, fundamental questions, which are designed to just test the content. They're not really MCAT style questions, but there's a difference between like what I was saying earlier about capacitors, right? Like the, with the, the membrane, like that's, that's an MCAT kind of question, but in order to answer that, you kind of got to know about capacitors. And so yeah. the fundamental questions are useful to help you figure out like, what are the, like, what's the content? What are my weaknesses? Like, what do I still need to learn? What do I need to tackle there? Um, and then there's application, which is separately, right? And I think a lot of times students get caught so much on one or the other, and they tend to neglect whichever one they're neglecting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it is important to kind of like start with fundamentals, but then work on applying um, because that, that like, that's how the MCAT's going to test you. And you kind of need some good fundamentals. But the other thing talking about just, like, you know, reaching that point where you're like tearing out your hair. I have so much to say about that. Um, I feel like that's, that's a topic that, that like should take an entire like (laughs) podcast in and of itself. And so we'll probably address that next time, just getting to that point where you're kind of stressed. And once again, there's a whole lot of really interesting, like interrelationships between stress and memory and, um, you know, like how we learn and how we're able to learn and, and like physiologic changes, like actually like biology, like your body changes when you're stressed in all sorts of interesting ways. 
but um, that's something that we can, we can nerd out on. I feel like I could talk about that for hours. And so I'm like hesitant to dive into it there. We'll definitely talk about it in the next podcast. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. We are really excited about this new project. And so come along for the ride as we talk through, you know, a bit what we talked about today, next time stress, looking forward to see what else we get to chat about. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not, it's, like while everything today is like some content stuff, we're really hoping to help students like do well in the MCAT and further, right? We're, we're trying to help and guide and prepare you for what's coming down the road. And if you stick with us, you'll, uh, you'll be my doctor eventually. <laughs> <laughs>